Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, it finally warmed up a little for a couple of days. Saw some people wearing shorts. Sam, good job. Jim, nothing normal. I mean, that's just the way it is for, for you, so that's okay. What am I? Oh, now I need a pulpit. Okay. I'm very high maintenance on Sunday mornings. Take out your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at making an impact in your everyday lives. Making an impact for God in your everyday lives. Now, the largest impact crater in the history of the world that we've ever found is in South Africa. Uh, I can't really pronounce it. It's something like Redafort or something like that. But it is 180 miles in radius. You can't actually take a picture of it unless you're up in the sky. And so here's a picture of the crater uh, that you can actually see from way up above. But you can't really uh, tell. It's just a big valley uh, if you're actually looking at it. So you take that, the largest impact crater on earth and then you look at the largest impact crater in north america the behringer crater in arizona it's just a few miles wide but what's a few miles wide mean well there's a picture of it pretty impressive but here's a guy standing in front of it there you can see uh, just the little edge of it there this thing is absolutely huge the one in south africa is like a hundred times larger uh, so think of the impact that was made when these craters crashed into earth and, and the impact it had when it hit. Well, we're going to be talking about the kind of impact we can have as Christians and as a church as we live our everyday lives. And we're going to be looking at a man by the name of Philip. Philip is often called the evangelist. Uh, in scripture. Now, the unusual thing about that, we use the word evangelist all the time today. It's only used three times in all of the New Testament. Is that phrase, uh, uh, ever used? Uh, it's used in Acts 6 of Philip, who is called the evangelist. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, when one of the spiritual gifts is called being an evangelist, uh, an evangelist. And it's used in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 5, when Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. But those are the only three times it's actually used in the entire New Testament. It's used of Philip because the one thing that he had that people recognized is wherever he went, he was telling people about Jesus. And so he became nicknamed uh, Philip the Evangelist. And uh, so that's just a little background on Philip. He first appears... Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, when the uh, Greek widows uh, are not getting their fair share uh, in the daily distribution of food. The Greek widows would have been Gentile converts. And so the first church, this was the first big controversy in the church. And the church handled it by getting a group of seven men with Greek names to take care of the Grecian widows. So most likely the people they assigned were people who were also Gentile converts. Stephen was one of those who would be stoned a short time later, and Philip was also one of those. So that's really all we know about Philip, very prominent uh, in the early church. And we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 8, which talks about uh, Philip the evangelist and the impact he had and how we can still have an impact today. So with that as our background, let's look over into Acts chapter 8. And the first thing we see is this. As you live your life, 
You must know what you are called to be as a Christian. So you're, you're just living your everyday life. You're going to school, you're going to work, you're going to a ball game, whatever. And as you get out, how are you supposed to live your life? What were you supposed to be as a Christian? And what we're going to see about Philip is that Philip knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing and what he was supposed to be as he lived his everyday life. Look down to uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. That's the death of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So you see the great persecution that's broke out against the church here. The very people that had put Jesus to death are now trying to wipe out the followers of Jesus. Stephen has been stoned. Uh, Christians are being arrested. Their houses are being uh, confiscated. People are fleeing Jerusalem because of the persecution. <clears throat> Down to verse 4. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now this is kind of interesting because basically what happened was this. The first great mission movement among the church was persecution. As people fled Jerusalem, they went to different towns. And every town they went to, they began to tell people about Jesus. So look at it this way. You live in, Jeru in Louisville. A great persecution breaks out in Louisville. So people begin to flee and they go to LaGrange and Shepherdsville and uh, Newcastle trying to get out of town as they're going down to E-Town, whatever. And wherever they go, they're telling people about Jesus. And so the word about Jesus has begun to spread because of persecution. Verse five. Now, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. This was a good place for Philip to go, Samaria. It wasn't a common place for Jews to go because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. But you know the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus had made quite an impact in Samaria. So they knew about Jesus. They'd heard about him. And so when Philip shows up and says, hey, you know, those religious leaders in Jerusalem that you all don't like anyway, they killed this good guy, Jesus. He was really the Messiah. They're very willing to hear that story now uh, because of the impact Jesus had had upon that area. And then keep reading six through eight. When the crowds heard Philip, saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Many paralytics and cripples were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So here's Philip. He's fleeing the persecution. He goes to Samaria. While he's there, he does what he thinks he's supposed to be called to do. He tells people about Jesus. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He takes care of people wherever he can. And we're told in verse 8, great joy spreads throughout the city. Because when Philip showed up, he just lived the life he was supposed to be living. He did what he was supposed to do. He was who he was supposed to be. What about in your everyday life? We're told that when Philip showed up in Samaria, there was great joy. When you show up at work, at school, at your home, is there great joy when you show up? You know, <laughs> think about that for a second. How do people react to the way you live your life and what you do? You know, is there truly great joy? Philip knew who he was and what he was supposed to be doing. As you're living your life every day, do you know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing? So if that's the case, let's just ask the simple question, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be? Look over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is that great sermon Jesus preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus tells us two very simple things that we were supposed to be 
uh, as we live our everyday life. This isn't talking about when you come to church or anything else. It's as you live your normal life, what were you supposed to be? Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 13. You were the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It isn't good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus said that what we were supposed to be in our everyday lives is salt and light. Now think about that for a second. What was salt in Jesus' day and age? The main thing salt is used for today is as a preserve, is as a, a flavoring. We put salt in something to give it flavor. That wasn't the main reason salt was used in Jesus' day. The main reason salt was used then was as a preservative to keep things from spoiling. They didn't have a refrigerator to go stick it in the freezer. You know, that, that technology didn't exist. So salt was the way you preserved something. Kind of like country ham. Anybody like country ham? Yeah, you and you and me and other people in Kentucky, but nowhere else, you know, uh, but, but, you know, we like country ham, you know, that it's preserved by salt. So it was supposed to be a preservative and a flavoring. So when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, what he's saying is you are that unique thing that's supposed to give the people in your life and the people you encounter uh, a, a flavor for what the good thing of life is and the right thing of life. And you're supposed to help them to preserve them from the decay of this world. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Then he says, you're the light of the world. Well, what does light do? Light casts out darkness. Light allows you to see. Light shows you where things are you might bump into, and it gives you direction. Light does all of those things. Jesus said, you're supposed to be the light of the world. To people in darkness, to people who don't know where they're going or what their life is about or what meaning is, you're supposed to show them and cast light upon them and show them the right direction. You're supposed to be salt and light. Now, we're not going to go into detail on it, but it's interesting when Jesus talks about salt and light here, he uses more words as a warning than as a challenge. He says, look, don't let your salt become useless with no flavoring in it. He says, don't let your light be hidden because that's what we do. He says, you are salt, you are light. When you became a Christian, you became salt and light. But there are so many Christians today who aren't shining as a light and aren't preserving as salt for one simple reason. We're intentionally hiding it. And you think, well, I don't do that in my life. But you do. When you're not out there looking at how you can make a difference in the world, when you're not out there encountering people and making a difference in their life, you are intentionally hiding the light and salt that God has for you because you are salt, we're told. You are light. Philip understood that. He knew what he was. Now, the last verse that we read was also interesting there in Matthew 5. It says, you're to be salt and light that God be glorified. It's not so that people think, man, they're a nice person or they're a great humanitarian or look at all the great things they're doing. You're to do things that God be glorified because God loves people. So that's who we were supposed to be, salt and light for the glory of God. So Philip knew that. Philip lived that way. And Philip made an impact because of that. So that's the first thing. As you live your life, know what you're called to be, salt and light for the glory of God. Brings us to back to Acts chapter 8 again. Acts chapter 8. And the next thing we see is this. If that's the truth, if we're supposed to be salt and light, then as you go through your day, expect God to be working. All around you every day, expect God to be working. You get up, you go out the door, and you think, God's going to do something in my life today. 
He's going to bring something to me that's supposed to teach me something. I'm supposed to learn from this. He's going to bring something into my life that's going to encourage me or give me hope or challenge me. Or he's going to give you divine encounters that someone can make a difference in your life or where you can make a difference in somebody else's life. So every day you get up and you go out and you're looking for and you're expecting God to do something. God's going to work today. He's going to teach me. He's going to direct me. He's going to inspire me. He's going to give me opportunities to help another person or be helped by another person. And so every day you go out, you're looking for and expecting God to work. Look back to chapter 8, verse 26. Chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So in some way, we're told an angel tells Philip, "Okay, go to this desert road out. It's a road out in the middle of nowhere and hang out there for a while. So Philip goes out to this desert road. Now, if an angel appears to you, you have a vision or something and the and the vision says to you, uh, Go down to Dixie Highway and hang out there for a while. You're going to go down to Dixie Highway, but what are you going to think when you get there if an angel told you that? First, you're going to think, why would the angel send anybody to Dixie Highway? You know, that's, that's the first thing you're going to think. You know, as somebody that grew up off Dixie, I know that. You know. And so, so you, go, you go, down the, go down to Dixie. When you get there, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be expecting God to do something. Why did he call me down to Shively? You know, you know, that seems kind of unusual. So, so now you're down there. What's God going to do? He calls Philip out to a desert road, a place in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's around. Philip shows up on this desert road, but what's got to be in his mind? God's going to do something right here. That's why he sent me. Every day as you go through your daily life, expect God to do something. Just as Philip showed up on that desert road and said, I don't know what's going to happen here, but God's going to do something here. As you go through your daily life, what if that was in your mind when you went to work, when you went to school, when you're at the ball game, when you're with friends? If in the back of your mind, you're thinking God's going to do something here. He's going to do something in somebody's life. He's going to do something that teaches me. What's God going to do? And you're expecting God to work. That's what Philip was doing. And when you expect God to work, you're always going to be amazed at what happens. I got a picture here of a young nurse by the name of Amanda Skipwith. Uh, Amanda, when she was a young girl, uh, had had a, a lot of serious health problems. She was in constant pain and she would have to go uh, uh, to the to the doctors a couple of days a week and get pain medicines through an IV. And she said that, that they were so painful and she'd lay there and cry. And there was one nurse uh, that, that would take her in her arms and hold her and sing to her and kiss her on her forehead and said, it's going to be okay, Amanda. It's going to be okay. I love you. I love you. And, and then as Amanda grew up, she had no idea who that nurse was. You know, the nurse, the nurse had kind of gone off. Amanda grew up and all that. But it made her want to become a nurse. And Amanda had a wonderful experience last week. She was treating a patient. She's now in pain management herself because of what that meant to her. She was treating a patient and the, and she said, what's your name? And the lady said, well, my name is Denise. And uh, she said, well, Denise, tell me a little about yourself. And she said, well, I was a nurse like you in pain management. And they started talking and suddenly Amanda said, Denise, you're Nene. You're my Nene. And it was the nurse that had taken care of her her entire childhood in pain management. She was now taking care of her. 
That's not a coincidence that just happens randomly. That's looking for, expecting God to work and seeing God do amazing things as he brought these two people back together. So what have we seen here? First of all, we've seen we're called to be salt and light for God's glory. Second, we've seen expect God to work. So, okay, I'm supposed to be salt and light as I go out in the world. And as I go out to be salt and light, I expect God to work. The next thing we see is this. As you go through the day, be aware of what's happening around you. Don't just expect God to work. Be aware of your surroundings. Be present. How many times do you go somewhere and, and you're not present at all? All you are is, is, is concerned about your own little world. I'm in here. There's a long line at McDonald's and I'm obsessed with getting through the line and getting my food because I've only got 30 minutes before I got to be back at work. And so you're obsessed with yourself and you're not present and you're not aware of anything else going on around you. But if you're expecting God to work, a part of expecting God to work is to be aware of what's happening around you. Look down to verse 27 and 28 of our scripture passage. Verse 27 and 28. So he, Philip, started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Okay. So here's Philip. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He got a vision. Go out to this desert road. He's walking up and down the desert road. Okay, God, what do you got for me here? And suddenly he sees a chariot parked with a very important person, the treasurer of, the, of, of Ethiopia, sitting in the chariot. And he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, Philip is a really smart guy. And so he thinks, this must be it. And so he goes up and encounters the man. He was not only expecting God to work. He was looking around at his surroundings. And when he saw, hey, important guy in a chariot reading from the Bible. Must be the only person around in this desert. I'm going to go talk to him. He was aware of his surroundings. We need to be aware of our surroundings. Aware of everything that's happening around us each and every day. How many times has God wanted to teach you something and you just missed it because you were too wrapped up in yourself? How many times did God bring somebody to your life that you met face to face and you were so wrapped up in yourself, you were unaware of them and the blessing that you could have given them, the encouragement, the hope that could have come from you through God for them was simply missed because all you can think about is yourself. We're not aware of our surroundings. We're not aware of what's happening every day to people that we are encountering and the difference that we can make. So be aware, look out, understand what's happening around you and interact with what's going on. There's an interesting story of in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, there was a, a pizza parlor there and a young, girl, a young girl by the name of Sarah. I got a picture of Sarah here. Uh, Sarah go was at the pizza parlor with her two uh, siblings and her mom, and she saw a guy win a doll out of one of those claw machines, you know, the things you can never win out of, you know, and he'd actually won a doll. And the lady seated there uh, went up to him and said, can I buy that doll from you? And the guy says, no, what's wrong with you? This is for my daughter and turned around and walked off. Well, the little girl asked her mom, Sarah, she said, mom, can I have some money for the claw machine? And mom says, Sarah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a racket. And you're never going to win. You know, you've tried a million times. It's stupid. And Sarah says, please, mom, just one time. And she said, okay. So she gives her money for one game. 
Sarah goes over and for the first time in her life wins a dial at that game. And when she wins the dial, she goes over and hands it to the lady and says, I want to give you this. And the lady started crying and said, thank you. My sister's had a stroke and is in the hospital. And I just wanted to give her something when I went to see her tonight. And so they got their picture together and everything. Sarah went back to eat pizza uh, with her sisters. And her mom said, you know what, Sarah? Thank you for noticing that lady. I saw it and it didn't make it. It never even occurred to me what was happening there. Thank you for noticing that. And then Sarah's little brothers and little brother and sister said, well, mom, when we came in, we saw a homeless man and woman across the street. Can we buy them a pizza? And she said, of course you can. And so they bought a pizza, took it across the street, gave it to them. And on the way back, the mom was talking to a friend and said, you know what? My kids are never going to be the same because of what happened tonight. They'll never go into a pizza parlor the same again. You see, when you're aware of what's happening around you, it makes unbelievable impacts. So what have we seen? You're supposed to be salt and light for the glory of God. The second thing we've seen is expect God to work every day in unusual situations. See, we think God's only going to work at church. We show up at church and we say, okay, Chip, do something to to, uh, uh, make me see God here or something like that. God's going to be a lot more active in your everyday life than he ever is here. Now, I know that might seem strange to you, but guess what? You're a whole lot more out there than you are in here. You're in here, what, an hour on Sunday morning or something? And in that hour, most of the time you're doing this. Golly, how long is he going to talk? You know, or something like that. Out there is where you live your life. That's where God's going to be working. And God works in unusual places. We've seen from this pulpit, God's worked in places like strip joints in Louisville, Kentucky. He's working uh, in places where, where teenage girls have come because they've had babies and they're going to school and they seem to have no hope. God is working in food shelters. He's working in your neighborhood. He's working at your school. Be aware. So number one, be salt and light for the glory of God. Expect God to work and be aware of what's happening around you. That brings us to the next thing that we see. Not only are you supposed to be aware when you see something happen, when you see a godly opportunity, take advantage and do something. Have you ever heard you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Well, God can lead you to the point of a divine encounter, but he can't make it happen for you. You've got to do something to take advantage of the opportunity. You've got to do something to step through and actually be active and take a part in what is going on. Let's see what happens in our scripture passage now. Look down to verse uh, 29. Verse 29. The spirit, of, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So Philip sees the chariot and he thinks, well, this must be it. What am I supposed to do? Maybe I'm supposed to just hang out and the guy will say something to me. You know, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so the spirit gives him a little nudge and he said, well, Philip, how about this? How about going and talking to the guy? You know, go do that. And he gives him a little nudge. Now, the point of me going on about this is this. God's going to give you little nudges. You're going to fear the spirit saying, hey, go say something to this person. See that person crying over there? Maybe you ought to go ask if everything's okay. You know, uh, uh, you know, well, you know, uh, Mary seems a little bit quiet at, at work today. Why don't you ask her if something's wrong? God's going to give you little nudges to push you on the way. So he gets this little nudge from God. And when he gets the little nudge from God, look at what happens. Verse 30. Then Philip ran to the chariot. 
Do you hear that? Okay, God, I'm out here for a reason. Maybe it's that guy. God says, well, Philip, maybe you want to go talk to him. And when he gets the nudge, Philip runs to the chariot. Now, what do you do if you're the, if you're the guy in the chariot? You're probably like, oh, man, crazy guys running up here. He runs up to the chariot. And so look what happens. Keep reading verse 30. He runs up to the chariot. He hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the eunuch was reading a passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? His life was taken from the earth. And so he's reading Isaiah 53, that great passage of scripture about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a coincidence, isn't it? That he just happened to be reading about the sacrifice of Jesus from Isaiah. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Philip's done nothing except show up and say, hey, what you reading? And the guy says, I'm reading Isaiah 53. Who's he talking about here? And suddenly the table set and Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. There comes a time you have to step forward and do something. Okay, I'm supposed to be salt and light. I'm expecting God to work. I'm aware of things happening around me. But then you have to take the step and actually do something. When Philip did, he literally ran to do something. He expected God to work and he stepped through and did something about it. Nittis and Lucille Anderson, who are members of our church, told me that they were at Bob Evans the other day. And as they were leaving, uh, a man was sitting there and he said to him, he said, it was really neat to see you and your wife together there and you seem to be having so much fun. And they said, oh, well, thank you. And then Dennis said he kind of felt God with that little push. And he said, uh, so what are you doing, sir? Uh, and the guy said, well, my wife just passed away. And so it was just good to see another couple uh, like you all together. And then they started talking to the man. They sat down at the table with him. He started telling about his hurt and his grief over his wife. They had a prayer with the man. They told him about our grief share ministry. Uh, and when they left, they said, I can't believe all that happened as we were walking out the door at Bob Evans. But you see, God's going to be working every day all around you if you're only aware of it. That brings us to the last thing that we see. The last thing that we see. And that's this. When you do the things we've just talked about, you're expectant, you're aware, and you step through and then you actually act, you're going to see God do amazing things. God's going to start doing amazing things all around you. The first thing God's going to do is he's going to give you great victories. He's going to give you great victories. <clears throat> Look down in our scripture passage to verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Okay, now that's neat enough. He now wants to be baptized. But where are they when they're going down this road? They're in a desert. They're going down the road in the desert. And suddenly the, the Ethiopian treasurer says, oh, well, look, there's some water here in the middle of the desert. Why don't I get baptized? And so what happens is that's exactly what takes place. So he, uh, he gave order to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and, <coughs> and Philip baptized him. 
I'm having a Rodney Lynch episode up here. <laughs> so, an unbelievable victory. Walking down a desert road, and now with water in the desert, a man's being baptized. What you're going to see is that when you are aware and begin to act, you're going to see God do amazing things in your everyday life. At the ball field, at your work, with your family, you're going to see God begin to do amazing things. But there's a second thing. You're not only going to see God do amazing things, you're going to see God give you more opportunities for other things to happen in your life. God will provide you with even more opportunities. So the Ethiopian treasurer is baptized. And then look at verse 39. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we're told the spirit took Philip away. Now, we don't know what that means. We don't know if he was Star Trek teleported uh, over to Ashdod or if the spirit just said, okay, you need to go somewhere else now or something like that. But for whatever he felt, he was supposed to go to Ashdod. Ashdod, uh, Azotus is what it says there. That's the port of Ashdod uh, in Israel. Uh, He goes over to, to the great city of Ashdod and begins to go up and down the coast doing what he'd done in Samaria. Don't know why I'm here. Don't know why God wants me in Ashdod. But guess what? I know what I was supposed to be doing and what I was supposed to be when I'm here. And so he starts doing it. He just goes up and down the coast, telling people about Jesus, helping people, doing whatever he can, being salt and light, God providing even more opportunities as he did. I read an interesting story this week about Arizona State University. There's a lady that works in the cafeteria there by the name of Vicki Davis. And Vicki is very special to all the students at Arizona State because every day she has a different question that she asks the students because there's, you know, hundreds of students that go through her line every day. And so she tries to ask a question and then she tries to remember the answer for the student the next day and ask him another question. So the first day she might ask, well, where are you from? And then she'll show them, oh, yeah, you're the guy from from uh, Tucson, aren't you? Or something like that. And then she'll ask them, uh, well, what are you majoring in? Oh, you're the guy from Tucson majoring in political science. And then the next day they'll come in and she'll say, um, uh, what's your favorite sports team? And every day she had a different question. So one day some students walked in and before she could get her question, they go, no, no, we got a question for you today. And she said, what's that? And they said, if you could go on any vacation, go anywhere in the world, where would you go? And Vicki said, well, I'd go see the Northern Lights. Two days later, this happened. As she was in the cafeteria, those students came up and gave her a trip to the Northern Lights. They had started a Facebook page that day uh, for Arizona State students saying, let's send Miss Vicki to the Northern Lights. And in two days had raised $2,500 from the students that were there. And they presented it to Miss Vicki. You see, you're aware of what's going on around you. You're expecting something to happen. And then you do something. And when you do, God does amazing things. We go out into the world and we lead such humdrum lives, just worried about ourselves, going from one thing to the next. 
What if every time you went somewhere, to the store, to a restaurant, to a friend's house, to school, when you walked in, you think, God's here, he's going to be doing something, and it's going to teach me something or provide me opportunity to help another person, and you're looking for that to happen every place you go, everything you do, think of how exciting life would be. And then when you see God start to do things and for things to start happening, man, you're never going to go anywhere again without an antenna being up and being unbelievably excited about what God's going to do every day in your life because you'll never live a day that God isn't working all around you. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us so very, very much. Lord, help us to know that that your promise is for more than this heaven, that, that you have for us today to be salt and light for your glory. Help us to realize that all around us, there are people that need that salt and light. And Lord, help us to live it for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.